Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Red Letters Sermon Series, which looks at the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Tonight we're going to come back in our Red Letters Series, and we're going to be in uh, John chapter number 4. So find your place there. <coughs> Excuse me, John chapter 4. And we're going through this Red Letters series, just kind of bouncing around, learning from the words of Christ, and uh, really getting to know uh, Jesus a little bit better. <coughs> Excuse me, getting to know the Lord a little bit better. And a few weeks ago, I mentioned that if you wanted to, if you want to get to know somebody, one of the best ways to get to know them is spend some time with them and just let them speak, and you can learn about them. But you know, another great way to get to know someone is to watch how they act around other people. I think about my parents and my sisters, um, of course, with my sisters being quite a bit older than me, I got to watch uh, my parents raise my sisters and watch things that they uh, did with, my, with Don and Dina. And I remember one of the things that they would do is Don or Dina would come home and they'd say, Mom, there's this, there's this boy, and I, I like this boy. And my parents came up with their name for my sisters. They would say, oh, she's just Twitter-pated, you know, and that's from... Bambi. Remember, remember Bambi, Twitter-pated. My parents would say that about my sisters. Oh, she's just Twitter-pated. <clears throat> but I remember one of the things that my parents would do, they'd say, oh, well, okay, so you, you like this boy. Well, I want you to bring him here to the house, and I want to see how he, how he acts around us. And I want to watch how he acts around your siblings. I want to watch how he acts. And uh, man, you can learn a lot from somebody by watching how they act, what they say, how they uh, conduct themselves around other people. I've even learned from that uh, as a pastor uh, here at the church. One of the things that I'll do, and a few of you have caught on over the years, but uh, one of the th- I'm just sharing it with you now. One of the things I'll do whenever we're looking at someone for staff, I fly them up here. Like Brian and Samantha, they just came on staff. I remember they were here in November. I remember that. Uh, they were here in November, and people were wondering, well, who's this young couple walking around? I told them, you're not here to introduce yourselves. You're not here to sing. I just want to watch you. I just want to, and I didn't tell them this. I didn't tell them I wanted to watch how they work, but I want to watch how they acted around people. I want to watch how they conduct themselves around people. Well, why? Because you can really get to know somebody when you learn how they are around others. When we come to John chapter number four, what we're going to discover tonight is we really can learn a lot about Jesus Christ by watching how he spoke and how he conducted himself around other people. In particular, around people that he supposedly was supposed to be their enemy. We're going to find it in John chapter number four. And so I want you to stand and notice with me. John chapter number four, we're just going to read the first four verses to get us started. A very familiar passage. I actually uh, preach out of this portion of scripture every year around this time with our end of the city theme. And we'll get a little bit of that tonight. But John chapter four, and we're going to just read the first four verses and then we'll uh, get cruising through the whole passage. John chapter 4, verse number 1, we read this. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So Jesus now is going to be leaving the southern region and heading north, all right? And verse number 4 says this. And he must needs go through 
Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. I'm not going to put the map up. We've already talked about this. Those of us maybe that have been in church for a little bit, bit of time, we understand it. But if not, we'll get it real quick. In Israel, if Israel, if we could just draw kind of a, a, a rectangle, just a rectangle up north and, or north and south, if you look to the bottom, it'd be the southern region, Judea. The top would be that northern region by the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus is going from point A to point B. The fastest way from point A to point B, you learned it in math, is what? A straight line, just to go straight up. But the Jews didn't like to do that. They didn't like to go from the, north, the southern region to the northern region because they'd have to travel through Samaria. So they would actually travel east, and they would head over the uh, Jordan River. They would go up and then back west over the Jordan River again into the area of Galilee that they were trying to go into but in our passage, what we find in John chapter 4 and verse number 4 is that said he must needs go through Samaria. Well, why must Jesus go through Samaria? Well, if you know the story, it's because there was a certain woman, a Samaritan woman in Samaria, and Jesus knew that there was a divine appointment with her. But one thing we need to understand is Jesus was supposed to be an enemy of a Samaritan because Jesus was a Jew. And yet in this passage, we can learn a lot about Christ, about in paying attention to how he conducted himself and how he spoke around this Samaritan woman. And that's what we're going to do tonight, learn a lot about watching Jesus around others. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into our word tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take a moment, and just in the quietness of your own heart, why don't you ask the Lord to speak to your heart tonight. You can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. Just something simple, dear God, please speak to me. And then why don't you go ahead and make the decision. God, whatever you speak to me about, I'm listening to you tonight. Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you again for the word of God. We thank you for how it applies to our life. And Lord, we want to come and just humble our hearts before you tonight and recognize, Lord, that this is your word. And Father, I pray that you would use your word to speak to each of us. Lord, I, uh, I pray that you'd use me tonight. I pray that you'd use the feeble attempt of uh, my voice and preaching, Lord, that you would use that to work in each of our hearts as you see fit. We love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for having a message for us tonight. And we commit this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. I want us to notice a few thoughts tonight through Christ's words and actions around people. We learn, first of all, about his unbiased compassion, about the unbiased compassion that Jesus has. I want you to take your Bible and go with me to John 4, and let's start reading in verse number 5. <coughs> start reading in verse number 5. It says this, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the par parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Verse number seven. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. When Jesus then uh, saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, 
and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. As I look at this conversation as it begins, I see Jesus having what I'm going to call an unbiased compassion. And the reason we call it an unbiased compassion is because Christ, in these verses, he extends to her his love. He shows her his desire that she would accept him. Even though she does not yet know that he is the Messiah, we'll see that in verse number 26, even though she doesn't know that yet, even even though she really doesn't even know who she's speaking with, Jesus goes against everything that everybody said he should do, and he shows her this unbiased compassion. We would, we would say, well, why is it an unbiased compassion? Well, it's an unbiased compassion because of where she was from. Where she was from. Well, where is this woman from? She is from Sychar. She's from Samaria. She's a Samaritan woman. Now, there's a few things that help us understand where she was from. In verse number seven, it says, there cometh a woman of Samaria. Now, to you and I, that doesn't mean much, but for the Jew... Samaritans were from the opposite side of the track, so to speak. I said a moment ago they wouldn't even want to travel through their land. Samaria sat right in the center of Israel, and it's sad to say, but most people would have rather gone out of their way to avoid Samaria than to travel through it. As a matter of fact, most Orthodox Jews actually avoided Samaria in its entirety. They wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even want to go through uh, a corner of Samaria. They would go way out of their way, some even traveling south. You think about where Samaria sat, and I, I should have put it up to walk up there, but you think about where Samaria sat, many Jews maybe that would live on the uh, western side of Samaria would actually travel south into Jerusalem, east over the Jordan River, and then back up to travel where they were going. Instead of just taking the 10 miles to go, they would go 50 miles out of the way. Why? Because they hated them. The Jews hated the Samaritans. There was this deep-seated hatred for the Samaritans. As a matter of fact, we read from the very woman herself in verse number nine. She said, how is it that thou art a Jew? You being a Jew, how in the world are you asking me for a drink being a Samaritan? You know the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And that statement, the Jews having no dealings with the Samaritans, is really an understatement. You say, why? Because the Jews, they absolutely despised the Samaritans simply because the Samaritans were a mix of Jew and Gentile. The Jews would often reject a Samaritan because they said the Samaritan could not prove their Jewish heritage. Because of this, the Samaritans, they had kind of just adapted to life within their own borders the Samaritans, they had their own temple and their own religion at Mount Gerizim. You read that later on. That just, that just created even more of a hatred because the Jews saw that as a turning away, even though they wouldn't let the Samaritans come worship with them. When the Samaritans started their own worship, the Jews said, well, we hate you even more. It's funny that the Jews would actually use the, the term Samaritan 
in a derogatory or insultive way. John 8, 8.48, I, I laughed when I read this verse again, and I read it years ago, but just reminded of it. Here's what one of the, one of the, Pharisees, talking, the Pharisees talking to each other about Jesus It says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? This is Jesus. He was going through and doing miracles, and the Jews' response was, Hey, you're just like a Samaritan. You're demon-possessed. That's an an insult. I mean, that's like, you know, you think about uh, in Paul's day saying, Oh, you're from Corinth? Oh, you're just a Corinthian. Man, that's just an insult. And this is what they were dealing with, some historians say that it was actually said that the hatred of the Jews toward the Samaritans was so bad that, quote, some of the Pharisees prayed that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and they prayed that the Samaritans would just stay dead. That's how much they hated them. That's why we would call this an unbiased compassion, because Jesus showed no hatred for her. Instead, he reached out to her in love, regardless of where she was from. But he also showed an unbiased comparison regardless of who she was. If you think about it, we don't know her name. We don't know exactly everything about her, but we do know that she was one who had a rough past. She was one who had a rough life. If you go and you begin reading, the Bible tells us in verse number 16, Jesus saith unto her, go unto thy husband, go call thy husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you've spoken truth. Uh, you don't have a husband. You've been married five times and the man you're living with right now, he's not even your husband. She says, sir, I, I perceive that thou art a prophet. You, how in the world would you know this? But Jesus, and we'll see this in depth in just a minute, he knew everything about her. He knew who she was. We go and we can find that she was probably one that was disliked among the ladies in the community. Why? Because it says that Jesus came to the well at the sixth hour. That would be at noon, about 12 o'clock. Do you know when most ladies would go to draw water? They would go in the morning. They would go before 9 a.m. Why? Because of the heat and because of the fellowship, the camaraderie. I've never known any lady to do anything alone. I'm just saying. I think uh, my wife every now and then, she's like, I just want to go shopping. And I'm like, well, who are you going to go with? And she's like, nobody. I'm are you sure? Is that safe? Are you okay? Right? Ladies are, hey, I'm going to go do that. Never mind. I won't even go into that. I'm not even going to go, I'm not even going to go into that statement I was about to say about like, hey, I'm going to go to the restroom. You know, walk with me. I've never understood that. My sisters all growing up, they'd be together. We'd be sitting in a restaurant and they'd be like, hey, I'm going to go use the restroom. You want to go? No. Why? You know, I've never known ladies to do stuff alone, but here we find this lady. She's doing something alone. Why? probably because of her lifestyle, people didn't want to be around her, and she knew it. She was despised even among her own people. So now she's not only from the rough area of Samaritan, but even the Samaritans don't like her because of her life, because of her lifestyle. And yet we see that in spite of all of this, Christ, he takes time to invite her to himself. This is where we see that unbiased compassion because in spite of it, Jesus takes time to speak to her. Can I just stop here for a moment and just encourage you? Don't ever let anyone or listen, don't ever let anyone or any religion tell you 
that God picks and chooses who he loves. Because God does not pick and choose who he loves. Here's what, here's what the word of God says. He loves the world. That's all of humanity. Oh, well, what about this verse? Let's talk about the context of the entirety of the word of God, and we will find that God loves everyone. Why? He has an unbiased compassion. He doesn't pick and choose. He says, no, I love everybody, and I give you an opportunity to choose me. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful God didn't say, well, I'll, I'll love you, but I won't love you? And God said, no, I love everybody, and you choose if you'll love me back. I see an unbiased compassion, but then also, secondly, I see what I'm gonna call an unfounded knowledge. An unfounded knowledge. This is in those verses I just read a moment ago. We read that <coughs> verse number 16 of course, verse 15, she says uh, to him, hey, give me that water. And Jesus says to her, verse 16, hey, go get your husband. She says, well, sir, I don't have a husband. Well, you speak truth. You don't have a husband. You've been married five times, and the man you're living with now, he's not even your husband. Sir, I perceive. Sir, I think. Sir, I, I can't help but wonder, are you a prophet? Well, why would she wonder if Jesus was a prophet? It's because he knew everything about her. And it's not like they, it's not like they had had a, a, an unrecorded conversation before what takes place in John 4. The words that we read taking place between Jesus and the Samaritan woman, those are the words they spoke to each other. Jesus had no extra time to maybe go and do some research about, hey, who's this lady coming out? No, the Bible helps us understand that Jesus... He knew everything about her, and it helped. And she, she saw that and came to the place to say, wow, there's something different about you. Wow, you know everything. I perceive, I think, I, I'm coming to the conclusion that you're a prophet. Because who else would know about me? And the truth is that Jesus, he knew everything about her. Absolutely everything about her. I see this as that unfounded knowledge. To her, she was confused. She was, if I could use the phrase, she was confounded at the fact that he had an unknown, unrecognizable knowledge. How do you know me? When I look at this, <clears throat> what I find interesting, and going back to just this last, this last thought about his compassion, I want to say this quickly is that even though Jesus knew everything about her, he still spoke to her, and he still loved her. He knew everything. He knew that she was living in sin. He knew that she was a Samaritan woman. He knew that she was despised by others. He knew everything about her, and yet he still spoke to her. He still invested his time in trying to draw her to himself. You know what, can I just say this tonight, that no matter who you are in life and no matter what your past is, you need to know and always remember that you are loved by Christ. He knows everything about you. He has an unfounded knowledge. He knows. Isn't it interesting to think about the fact that God knows us better than we know ourselves? You can't, my dad used to say it this way, you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. You can't trick God. 
You can't trick Christ. And you, you know what? You and I, sometimes we can go and uh, we could probably sneak one over the eyes of people around us. And you might be able to uh, hide something in your life from a parent or from a friend or from a, a spouse or from a coworker. You might be able to hide some things from other people, but God, he knows you inside and out. There's this, uh, there's this unfounded knowledge with God that may, we, we're just completely amazed at how much God knows us. I love, you can go to the Psalms and you can read so many places where God states about the fact of how much he knows us and how much he loves us in spite of us. I love this verse in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30 and 31. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are, more, you are, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Man, in the passage, Jesus trying to help the disciples understand his knowledge into their life and him saying to them, hey, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I know everything about you, and yet I still love you. He knew everything about this woman, and yet he still spoke to her. He knew everything about her, and yet he still accepted her in the moment and was giving her opportunity to accept him. Through the words and through the actions of Christ around this woman, we can learn about his unbiased compassion. We can learn about his unfounded knowledge, but then also I want you to see that we can learn about his unique patience. His unique patience. Look with me, if you will, at verse number 20. <clears throat> verse 19, the woman says, say, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and ye say that in uh, Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. When you look at this, this portion of scripture, we find that Jesus comes and he identifies who she is and all of her sin with, uh, with her husband, with her past husbands, and then with the man that she's living with and the uh, despising of the, those around her. And, and then it's interesting because she almost tries to change the subject. You know, because she's realizing he knows me. And probably she's kind of in that, uh, uh, in that awkward state. And so she brings up religion. She changed the subject to directed away from her to her religion. And isn't that just like human nature at times? When we know that God knows our flaws, we quickly try to point to our good. Maybe you don't do that, but I know that I do. That when maybe God's convicting me and maybe God's coming in your life and convicting you of something that you say, yeah, well, God, I know that's there, but what about yeah, God, I know I, I know I shouldn't have said that, but, but God, I, I've said a lot of nice things too. God, I know probably I shouldn't have done that, but didn't you see, I went to church three times this week. God, I, I know, I know, but I, I, I read the Bible this morning. And we try to point to religious deeds. That's exactly what she's doing. 
She's pointing to her religion, and she's saying, well, you know, you guys say that you worship in Jerusalem. We worship at Mount Gerizim, and, and uh, you say that you, don't, you, you, you know real worship, and we don't, and uh, Jesus just takes time. I love his response because the response of Christ is so love-filled because Jesus doesn't just say to her, you're crazy. You have no idea what you're talking about. Listen, I just pointed out who you were. Jesus didn't begin to try to shame her. Jesus didn't try to prove himself right. Instead, Jesus had patience, and he took time to explain true worship to her. If you're in our uh, <coughs> life stage groups that we have on Sunday mornings at 10, you'll recall that last Sunday we looked at this. Out of John chapter number four, we looked about true worship, ascribing worth to. You know what? In this passage, what, she's get, what, what Jesus is getting at and helping her understand, and specifically, I think it's verse number 24. Is that the verse where it says, God is a spirit and truth, and that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth? And then um, does the end of that verse, is that the one that says that um, uh, God desires that we do that? Or is that verse 23? Uh, fine, I'll look. Look at, verse number, uh, uh, look at verse number 23. It says, The hour cometh and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. In that verse, the hour cometh... <coughs> Excuse me. I went to block my cough from the microphone and coughed in the microphone. I apologize. Uh, I, I look at this passage and what I, see her, what I see him doing in verse number 23, and we saw it last Sunday morning, that Jesus is trying to help her understand that, listen, you say worship takes place here. The Jews say it's here. You say it should be done this particular way, and the Jews say it should be done this particular way. But I'm telling you that the hour come, the hour is coming when worship can happen anywhere. And worship is worshiping God in spirit and in truth, and God actually desires to be worshiped that way. Well, what is he talking about? Well, in short, Jesus is talking about the day and age in which we're living in. He's talking about the day and age in which we as believers are gathered in because in John chapter number 14, Jesus said, it's expedient that I go away because if I go, I will send them to you, the comforter. And the comforter, when he has come, he will show you all things and guide you into all truth. John 14, 26, we saw that uh, quoted a little bit this morning, I think. We have to understand that what Jesus is getting at is, hey, there is coming a day when it's not gonna be about the temple. It's not gonna be about the temple mount. It's not gonna be about the Jewish way of worship no, I will be the sacrifice, and there's coming a day when true worship can take place anywhere with anybody walking in the Spirit and having truth. And I want us to understand something, that we are living in the fulfillment of verse number 23. Verse 23, say, in verse 23 and 24, that day is coming. We're living in that time, because when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us access to God, and the veil was rent from top to bottom, showing you and I that we now can have access to God. And just Help, let me help us understand something tonight. Don't ever, ever, ever get over the fact that you and I, we have direct access to God because of Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Hebrews is about, the new covenant, the fact that we are not living in the old, but living in the new. And Jesus is getting at that with her. But I love the fact that Jesus doesn't just call her on the floor and say, what are you talking about? He doesn't do that. You know what he does? He patiently 
walks through it with her. He patiently explains it to her. You know why I call this a unique patience? Is because she tries to change the subject and Jesus stops, gives her a good, thorough, thought-out answer, and you know what he does? He brings it all the way back around to himself. Notice verse 26, or verse 25. Verse 24, he says, you know, they that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. She knows, she knows now that he's talking about Messiah. She saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, so I know there's coming that day, which, uh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he'll tell us all things. Hey, I know there's coming a day when that's all gonna take place and the Messiah is gonna tell us. He's gonna teach us everything that you're saying. So she's getting it. She's connecting with him. And Jesus says, I that speak unto thee am he. Man, in his patience, Jesus allowed, listen, he allows her to ask questions he allows her to kind of take it off course and then patiently he brings it back to himself. You know, when I look at this, I'm just so thankful that while Christ is patient with her in the passage, I'm thankful today to know that Christ is patient with you and me. Remember a moment ago when I said that we do what she did, that when we know God's convicting us, we like to point to our good? When your kids do that, you know, when you're at home and they do something, you're like, look, I told you to clean your room. I, I, I gave you specific instructions when we leave today that you need to have your room clean. And they go like this. <clears throat> but mom, I picked up a piece of trash. Mom, I, and they tell you, I did this. I did this little bit of it. You don't say, oh, okay, okay. You usually go, hey, quit making excuses. Stop making excuses. Don't point to your good. And yet Jesus, he's not doing that in this passage with her. He's showing her patience, and he does the same thing with us. And when God convicts us, sometimes we say, yeah, but God, look at this. And God doesn't just go, Tsh. quit making excuses. God says, hey, let me, let me teach you some things. Let me show you some truth from my word. And when I read this story, I see right here, I see Jesus showing this woman this idea of unique patience, just showing her, hey, no matter what excuses you're using, I'm going to be patient with you. No matter what direction you take this conversation, I'm just going to give you truth. He allows her to bring up her religion, to show her righteousness through her own people, and then he just brings it all back to the topic at hand, which was him, Christ. I that speak unto thee am he. I look tonight and I see Jesus coming and we're learning some thoughts about Christ. We see his compassion. We see his knowledge of her. We see his patience. But I want you to see, lastly tonight, where I want us to get for the next few moments is an unparalleled mission. An unparalleled mission. The Bible helps us understand in verse number 27, it says this, and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no man said, why seekest, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city 
And saith unto the man, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh, cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he and, uh, that both, uh, excuse me, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. When I look at this passage, I see an unparalleled mission in the fact that Jesus now the disciples come back, they see the woman, and they see Jesus speaking, and the Bible would lead us to believe that somewhere between verse 27 and verse 28, this woman receives Jesus as the Messiah. Because in verse number 28, the Bible says that she ditches the water pot. She was at a well to receive water. She's ditching, she's ditching her purpose. She had a mission that she was on. Now it's all changed. And where does she go? She goes into the city. Well, what's she go into the city for? She goes into the city to tell people about the Messiah. During all of that, while she's gone, the disciples and Jesus are having this conversation. Hey, Jesus, why don't you eat something? No, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Did somebody bring him something? Well, did we just waste a trip? Did I just walk a mile into town for nothing? Did, did we really just do this? That's, what, that's the conversation they're having. Did someone bring him something? And Jesus says, why are you having this discussion? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Now, disciples, sit down. Let me teach you something. And then you get into verse number 35, where Jesus said, Say not. Don't say that the harvest is down the road. Lift up your eyes and look to the fields. Why? Because they're white already to be harvested. They're, they're white unto harvest. They're ready right now. You say harvest is in four months. I say to you, harvest is right now. Now, was Jesus talking about a real wheat field? No. He was talking about the souls of men. I believe in this moment, based upon all the study I've done in John chapter number four, I personally believe that at this time, Jesus is looking at Sychar and they can see people coming at them. And I believe Jesus, with his disciples, says, hey, Guys, don't say that the harvest is in four months. I want to encourage you, lift up your eyes and look to the fields. They are white already unto harvest. And I want to give you a promise. This is verse number 37, I believe. I want to give you a promise that if you sow and reap of this harvest, you're going to reap fruit of life eternal. 
Hey, listen, this harvest isn't just to produce something for you to eat physically now. Listen, this is a great passage. Oh, it's so good. Jesus is talking about physical water and spiritual water, and then he's talking about physical food and spiritual food, and he's comparing salvation to it all, saying, hey, listen, physical sustenance, food, is only going to feed you for a short time. Physical water is only going to quench your thirst for a short time, but the salvation that comes with me, the, the food of eating me, John chapter 6, the partaking of me and the believing in me, that is something that's going to last you for life eternal. And man, let me just tell you something. Man, you're going to reap from another person's field. Someone has sowed and done the work and you're going to reap the harvest. And man, that's a blessing. I can see Jesus talking to the disciples, looking at all these people coming. You know what he's giving them? He's giving them the mission statement of every Christian. What is the mission statement of every Christian? Reach the lost. That's what Jesus is telling them right there. This is, that, that's exactly what he's getting to here in our passage. He's saying, hey, listen, quit saying that you're going to do some work down the road. Quit saying you're going to go harvest in four months. The lost are right in front of you, and somebody else has sowed, and you're about to reap. Hey, guys, you're about to reap the benefits of somebody else's planting. So oh, I don't understand. I, I, I don't understand this. Think about it. Who had just probably planted in the lives of the people of Sychar? The Samaritan woman. She had just gone back. Verse number 29, right, sirs? Hey, come see a man that told me everything that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? She's planting the seed, and now they're coming out. And the disciples, they didn't do any work. The disciples didn't do anything. They didn't have a conversation with her. They didn't, they didn't go into the city. Listen, the disciples went in, and you know what they brought out? They went into the city, and they brought out, brought out bread. She went into the city, and she brought out souls. And that's the whole thought here is Jesus is helping the disciples understand, guys, you're missing it. You're missing it. And this woman, she's getting it. Now let me just bring this down to us, and we'll be done tonight. The mission statement that Jesus was giving to the disciples is still the mission statement of every single person that calls themselves a disciple or follower of Jesus Christ. What is that statement? People need Jesus. Man, our world needs Christ. Your workplace and your coworkers, they need Jesus. And the, the teenagers and the kids that you go to school with, they need Christ. And your sports team needs Jesus. And your neighbor needs Christ. And your loved one, and they need the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we live in a culture that is hopeless and, and filled with, with sorrow. And a culture that's saying, is this all there is to life? And Jesus is saying to the disciples, hey, quit saying that you're going to work in the future. Understand that the fields are wide. They're ready for harvest right now. Lost people are waiting, and you never know who has already sowed into their life. You never know who might have already given them a gospel track 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You never know who might have knocked their door 50 years ago. You never know who works with them that might have just said, you know, I go to church on the weekend, and that began to just stir them a little bit. You never know what, what student, maybe a, a teacher has impacted or what teacher a student has impacted. Listen, we never know the people that maybe someone else has sowed in that we will have the opportunity to reach. That's what Jesus is getting at. He's helping them understand. I sent you in, guys. You, you brought back bread, but she's bringing back people. She didn't miss it. I put that on the 
thing. I'm a little behind on my slides. That's all right. Disciples, they bring back bread while she brings back the lost. And the truth is that a disciple of Jesus is supposed to reach others with Christ. Man, this is why we do into the city. Listen, this is why we order thousands and thousands of invitations. Well, we just want to have a quota. No. No, we don't have a quota. Well, I thought at the beginning of the year we talked about having, we wanted to do this many thousand. Yeah, we have some goals, but there's not a quota. You know what the, you know what the main goal is? Let's blanket our community with the gospel. Why? Because we live in a community population right around 24,000 in the city limits, but the greater area of, Mo of Moses Lake, there are 42, uh, we consider 42 reachable people, 42,000 reachable people in the Moses Lake area. That's 42,000 people who are going to spend eternity somewhere. Now, are all of them lost? No. But are all of them saved? No. So what are we going to do? We're going to blanket the community with the gospel. And John chapter 4, verse number 28, is where we get all of our into the city stuff. And the truth is this, and we've seen it all along. We saw it in John chapter 1. We saw it in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. We see it in John chapter number 4 with the Samaritan woman. Anybody who receives Jesus Christ, the natural response is to want to tell other people. That's the natural response. Man, Andrew, who did he find? He found Philip, uh, or he found Peter, excuse me. And, uh, Philip, who did he find? He found Nathaniel. Nicodemus, what did he do? Man, Nicodemus, he began, I believe, when you go and you read the stories about Nicodemus, I don't think Nicodemus just kind of hunkered down and got it to himself. I believe Nicodemus started planting seed in other people, and we see that even in John chapter, um, I don't know, I think John chapter number eight. Then you see the Samaritan woman in John four. What is she doing? Man, she's going to tell the lost. What are we doing? We're going to reach the lost. Well, it's just, my, it's just not my personality. It probably wasn't Nathaniel's personality either in Scripture. It probably wasn't Thomas's personality. It probably wasn't Matthew's personality. Out of, all the, out of all the disciples, the only person that we see probably as a big extrovert is Peter. He's probably the only one who's like, yeah, I'll go meet with people. Open mouth, insert foot. Peter's theme, you know? But listen, we, don't, we need to understand everybody could probably have an excuse as to why we can't do it. But instead, we need to accept the responsibility that the Lord's given us and say, God, I, called it. I understand that you've called me to do it. You've called me to spread the gospel. It's sports season, football season right now, college football and professional football, and we're getting in. Baseball is wrapping up. You'll get the World Series in October, and uh, the NBA is just kind of getting going with some things here soon. So really right now, you come into the month of September, September, October is kind of like basketball, I mean, or, or, or uh, sports fanatics just love, man, I love sports, you know, I'm going to watch it all the time. And if you've ever been to a game, if you've been uh, to a, a Seahawks game here, I know years ago I took my dad on a Monday night for his 60th birthday. We went to a, a Seahawks game a number of years ago and we got tickets and they were playing the 49ers. And I remember we watched and it was a shutout night, 21 nothing. the Seahawks won for once. Just kidding, they won today too, but I, Broncos didn't, but it's okay. Yeah, yeah I know, yeah, I'll, I'll take sympathy later. <clears throat> you know what, we were there and we we're watching that ball game, Monday night, man, when the Seahawks score at that time, I think it was still Matt Hasselbeck and Sean Alexander were still playing. And I remember we watched that and we watched them score a touchdown. You know what everybody did? Everybody cheered. Man, the only quiet people were 49ers fans. They were quiet a lot during that 10 years. Listen, 
when the touchdown was scored, I mean, yeah, woo, yeah, go Seahawks, woo, shouting. We get excited about that. You know what heaven gets excited about? Man, Luke chapter 15, verse number 10, here's what you read. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. Man, in heaven, they're not going, yeah, good job, Russell Wilson, you scored a touch. Yeah, good job, you did this. Yeah, good job, you made that. Good job, you won the World Series. They're not doing that. You know what they're doing? They're saying, yes, someone accepted Christ at Moses Lake Baptist. Yeah, someone got saved out on Blitzy. Yeah, some child trusted Jesus at VBS. Yeah, they're cheering about people coming to know Christ as Savior. You know what that does to us? It convicts us because... We'll cheer about a football game and a basketball game and a baseball game and we'll cheer and we'll repost all the photos of our family reunions and we'll do all these types of different things, all proud about all this stuff, but when someone gets saved, we're just like, it's a good day, praise the Lord. So pastor, are you saying we're supposed to stand up and cheer and shout? No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it should excite us a little bit. Man, someone gets saved, we should be able to walk up to him and say, that's the best decision you're ever gonna make. Man, I remember when I trusted Christ. I was such and such age. Man, I remember, I remember the message. I just wanna tell you, congratulations. What a decision. Man, what are you doing? You're finding joy. You're saying that means something to me. That means something to God. Why? Because that is the unparalleled mission, reaching the lost. It compares to no other mission, no other job, no other task that we could have on this earth other than reaching people, most important thing. You look at this scripture and you look at this passage, we learn a lot about Christ. But I wanna end tonight just by coming to help us focus in upon the fact that this entire story, the entirety of John chapter number four's story of the Samaritan woman is about people coming to know Jesus as Savior. That's, that's the central thought of the entire passage. The lost coming to know Christ. Christ reaches this woman, and then the woman reaches her town, and then Christ challenges the disciples to go reach more people. So knowing all of that, I want to ask you this question. How important was it to Christ to reach the lost? It's pretty important, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So here's the question I want to end with tonight. I want to ask you about this week. How important will it be to you this coming week? How important will it be to you to reach the lost? How important will it be to you to tell someone about Christ? Oh, pastor, you're just preaching this because of Community Sunday. No, I'm preaching it because we live in a community of people that need Christ. Who do you know that needs Jesus? Who do you know that you could begin praying for? Who do you know that needs you to have that step of courage to say, can I talk to you about something? If you passed away, do you know you're going to heaven? Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.